Welcome to Uncultured Bias Podcast. My name is Kamara Williams. I am your host. Uh, on our podcast, we say that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. After all, culture is just another way to stay discovered. We are uncultured, we are biased, and we are black. Now, I know some of you guys were listening and were like, what is that? Like, why are we switching it up? Um, just want to do something a little different this time uh, because we're going to get into them. And I felt that was a really inappropriate uh, opening for this show. Um, but before we get into that, we got to talk about some other things. And before we talk about those other things, uh, let's remind everybody to continue to continue to subscribe to this podcast. And uh, if you're on Apple or Spotify and check out the website, KamaraWilliams.com. Also, if you're on Apple, please continue to rate the episodes, uh, five star rating and leave a comment. That's how, how Apple grades their algorithms. Also, my final ask is if you are enjoying a podcast, please share it with your friends via text message and social media. And, um, you know, just letting people know, hey, this is a dope podcast, and they talk about something different each and every time. It's not the same subject. Um, our sponsors for this week are Compass Tax Advisors. If you're in the market for a tax attorney or just tax filing your returns, you should have already done so already. But if you're running a little bit late, uh, please contact Compass Tax Advisors at 850-273-7193. That's mycompasstax.com. Um, also, uh, if you are in the market for real estate investment or buying a new home, check out Keystone Global Real Estate. Um, you can reach them at 407-680-8510 or at keystoneglobalrealestate.com. And finally, if you are looking for a, a law firm to help you either with estate planning, probate, or even just something with an employment matter, please contact Smith & Williams Trial Group at um, 888 SWTG Law or 888-798-4529. You can reach me also at cwilliams at swtglaw.com. And, uh, you know, if you reference the podcast, we'll give you 15% off. All right. So this week's podcast, we are going to get into our pop culture cleanser. And as always, um, bring in my dude, Rob. What's up, Rob? What's up, Cam? It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a couple of weeks. You know, we got, yeah, yeah. got a, a number of different things to run over, run through. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Hey, you see, I, um, I feel like you got a, a couple of new sponsors since I was last on. Congratulations. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Doing, <laughs> doing a little something. Doing a little something. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. You know, a lot, a lot of things. I, I want to talk about that anthology series, um, Them. Yeah. But yeah. we haven't talked in a few weeks um, just well, we haven't talked about Snowfall and also the um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. So we gotta we gotta do a run up on that. And yeah, before we get into that though, um, you catch everything going on like with you you know everything that happened with Nas and everything. Yeah, yeah. So um, Nas in the cryptocurrency game. Um, looks like he uh got him some extra M's. Next to his name, right? Yo, first of all, shout out to the fact that Nas, he came out in 94. 94, yep. And in 21, not only did he get his first Grammy, or he got a Grammy, his first Grammy, right? But, you know, he's going to net, not gross, net $100 million on this Coinbase. Mm. Mm. That's just an impressive in itself, man. Like, for me... Like applause on that, right? You know, 
as if Nas needed my fucking applause, right? <laughs> <laughs> like he needs, he doesn't need anything. But I like he need, he needs an applause from us. But right. okay, yeah, he's like, all right, whatever. Um, but I just think it's crazy, man. Like, just in the sense of somebody who came out in '94. Think about his peer when he came out in '94. A lot of people who probably drop albums at that time or even between time, they're not even relevant in 2021. Facts. And the Facts. fact that he's relevant, not only musically. Um, and business-wise. But bi- yeah. also business-wise. More importantly, business-wise, right? Um, and so I just think that's that's crazy. And I just it's, it's motivating, but it's also just something very cool, especially for something part of the hip-hop culture, right? Like, we're, I'm very proud to see something like that. Hey, so as you were just made that statement, something came to mind. Okay. Would you rather be Nas or Jay Z right now? From this, from the point of view of every business move that Jay Z makes is under the microscope. Like everybody analyzes it. Everybody's Monday morning quarterbacking every move that Jay Z makes. Every business move that he makes. Okay. Whereas Nas. He's been a businessman and in, in been in many business ventures for years now, but we don't kind of put him under the microscope like we do Jay-Z, do we? We don't. And um, I I don't know why we don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just thought I mean, about that. Like that, that, that literally just came to my mind. Like, you know why, why don't, why do we hold... Jay Z to a certain level compared to Nas, but in essence, they're really peers. I can understand. I can tell you why, because Jay Z's always purported himself to be, even in his early job, like some boss, right? And then so yeah. he he just comes out with like he's a he's a C like CEO, he's CEO of Rockefeller, mm-hmm. right? Like he's always purported himself to be a certain person, and even laced it within his rhymes, like you know. What is his his classic album Blueprint? Right, he um, talks about you know what I'm saying talks about how, he, you know, he goes into corporate America and I'm paraphrasing obviously, and he right. can flip corporate America and it's like that, so it's always been that's been his mo and he talks about I'm not a brand I'm not a businessman I'm a businessman like, you businessman know I mean? so, so you know I think that goes into his whole ideology um, right. and his mythology rather that's the better framing framing of it that's part of his mythology of being the business businessman and Nas, his mythology is just being a goat. <laughs> he, so, so Nas kind of takes the approach where, like you said, where he, where Jay-Z quote unquote brags more on his albums about his business ventures. Nas kind of just like real G's move in silence kind of right. deal. Like lasagna. There you go. <laughs> classic line, classic, classic line. Classic. But but you know when you listen, but Nas, if you listen, if you're hip hop head and you really listen to Nas's albums, you know he talks about the good life. He right. talks about the the some of the business ventures, but he'll he'll just throw it in a verse. He'll just throw it, you know, right. little subtle jabs. He'll right. throw little subtle jabs in his verse about some of the business ventures that he's done and this Queensbridge Venture Partners group and everything. But it's never felt like bragging or bolstering. So I guess we've given him a pass for that. Mm-hmm. So 
Yes, that's very that's true. Um, we give it a pass, but it's again, it's not part of, of its mythology, right? Yeah, you know I mean? right. And so he's never made that. Up. It's made. It's just one sector of him, not the entire compass of what it like to the point where we almost ex- they always expect Jay Z to like. Oh, he's you know he does something. Oh, it's a genius. You know what I mean? And it's like there's other mm-hmm. people who probably made bigger moves, and you know they're not operating in the same lens of right. of him. You know, and so but. Um, it's just part of his mythology, and it it helps him. Like he's, you know, he doesn't. I th- I read this story a few years ago, talking specifically with Jay. Like they were talking about how he's made some bad investments, but it doesn't. It's not known to the public because he doesn't promote it because that goes against his brand of you know. Mm-hmm. I don't take I don't take L's. You know what I mean? Right. And right. he's actually missed on a few opportunities, a number number of different ones, right? But if he promotes those things, it would hurt his mythology. It's like baseball. So let's say he's hit 300, right? That's a ba- that's a Hall mm-hmm. of Famer. But in reality, that means you've had to strike out or, you know, seven times or you've, yep. you've, you've flamed out seven times. Um, he's not going to advertise those seven losses. Facts. He, he's going to advertise Facts. the three home runs or the three base hits or the three doubles or single, you know what I mean? Whatever. And um, so I think those are the things that, would again add to his layering of who he is as a public persona, and I think I did, I hope I answered your question because I think that was no, you did, you did, and and I'll follow up by saying I think this is why I just appreciate Nas, Mr. Nasir Jones, even more because I've always kind of taken the approach, you know, when I want to when I become a successful businessman, I don't want the world to know. I don't want the world to dissect every move that I make. I kind of want to just get mine on the low and under the radar. Like he's still a known public figure, but can you name like the, the various other business ventures that he's involved in off the top of your head without, you know, I know he's been involved in like Lyft. I remember that. Yep. One. And, I remember um, hearing about Lyft and mm-hmm. investing early in, in Robin Hood. Robin Hood early. Yep, he was and an early investor and, and, in there. And, and Ring Door. Oh, I didn't even know about Ring Door. That's part of the Queen's Bridge. Um, uh, part of the, their investment venture capital. The venture partner, yeah. the venture capitalist. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he was an early investor in, in Ring is Ring Door as well. So, um, but you don't hear about that, right? No, you and don't. And that's you don't. It's not his personality because he's not going to put it in the record. Like, yo, I'm, right. you know, um, invested in. And ring door. It's the same way. Like most people don't are not going to invest. I I found out a couple of years ago that Lance Armstrong was a early investor in Uber, and so he's like super rich, mm. big big. Mm-hmm. Like I'm talking about like I don't even like nine figure. Yeah, you know what I mean. Heavy heavy nine figures. So, um, but I didn't know he was an early investor in Uber. Right, you know, right, but and after his whole public ridicule for his situation, linked from public profile, you know, right, he's heavy in that, and so I think there's a lot of people you'll find out that are big in their investment, but they're not going to talk about. It. I mean, this is talk about cryptocurrency because that's had a, that's had a yeah a big um, movement this week as far as in just the culture. Dogecoin. <laughs> Listen, man, black people were just. My, my timeline. I know it's all all everybody, but I'm just talking about specifically for black people. Yo, we probably we woke up the next day looking at Dogecoin like, wait a minute, 
Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. <laughs> you know, and, Wait. Yeah. Uh, I made a joke on Facebook, man. I was like, we're about 24 to 48 hours from a promoter talking about, we're going to have a Dogecoin brunch. <laughs> Son. Son, Dave we're Hardy. about 24, 48 hours from a Dave Chappelle skit. Right. Going up in, going up into our jobs. Right. Kicking right. indoors. Yeah. Right. I quit, you know, nigga. You know what I'm saying? Hide the money, y'all. There's broke people around. Right. <laughs> you know. I'm rich, bitch. You're right. <laughs> you know, listen, it's, it's, uh, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Dogecoin get up to like $2. Right, if it gets to one dollar, let's be honest. If it get up to one dollar, yeah. if it gets if it gets up to two dollars, I'm gonna start talking to people different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want. I mean, yeah, I want my nose is gonna be a little, start, little, little start, higher in the sky. I'm gonna start talking I'm, to people a little different. I'm like, listen, man, I don't know how you lived your day not hustling. I'm gonna start talking like Kevin Hart. It's 24 hours in a day, and you gotta hustle 20, 12 hours of them day. And if you's not hustling them 12 hours, you're not living, bruh. I'm gonna start talking. Talking real disrespectful to people. Listen, real, real. Where, where you been? I started from the bottom, son. From the bottom. I started from the bottom. Now I'm here. I don't even like talking to people who don't have a hustle in them. <laughs> I don't like. I don't even like when people breathe on me, and I'll be like, "What you do? I had a nine to five. Nine to five. Nine to five. I work ninety five hours a week. That's what I'm talking about." Right, right. <laughs> I ain't, I ain't gonna lie. I'm, I'm looking at Dogecoin, and now I'm looking at that next uh yeah. that trip to Africa, yeah. that uh trip trip to Tulum, Mexico. I'm, I'm I'm looking at a couple of little splurges that might might go down in the near future. I'm gonna be honest, bro. I'm about to get heavy in this crypto point, and to the point where I, if anybody who's into cryptocurrency and wants to get on the pod and talk about it, it can't be from the financial industry. It has to be someone. Um, that right, conflict of interest. Yeah, because of conflict of yep. interest in licensing. But if you're in the crypto, I'm making them advocating right now. Please get, um, hit me up offline, and um, we can definitely talk crypto because I definitely want to have a pod on that. But yeah, bro, I, I it's it's um it's a wave. It's not even a wave. It's a it's a new era um, of how people do business, and we talk about how people operate silently. Shit, like Kevin Durant, um. Mm. You saw that? I did. I yeah. did. And, and he has a history. Actually, say what you want about Kevin Durant, but he has a history of um being an investor in a lot of angel um angel corporations and a lot of small time new corporations. So he's he's positioning himself very nicely to uh have a nice strong net worth even after he finishes playing basketball. So I'm gonna be honest. I was like a little bit like I was I was. A little bit discouraged with with Dogecoin because my boy told me back in December, and I'm not gonna put his name out because, but he sent me a screenshot. Um, he told me back in December, "Yo, man, I'm gonna put five grand in the Dogecoin." I'm like, "I'm not putting up five grand," and yeah. I don't know what the fuck this is, you know. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'll do five hundred. Uh-huh. You know, I'll do five hundred on that. And so, because I didn't know what the, what that was, you know, yeah. you got to you got to spread it out. Yeah. Crypto, it's just Dogecoin is just one. It's just you're guessing. It's just one thing of crypto. You don't know, you know. And so right. I only did five hundred, and then I'm like, I looked at his, and the man was up. He showed me a screenshot, a hundred and sixty 
$4,000 from a $5,000 investment. I know people that made seven figures this week. Damn. And I'm hurting right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I should have put more money into it. I just didn't. I should money. have too. Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But guess, best believe, the next time someone to get because crypto's not going anywhere. I am definitely right. putting in a four figure, Big bucks. yeah, four figure yep. amount. You know what I mean? I'm definitely putting in a four figure amount. Um, definitely. You know, it might even be five figures depending on fuck around and catch me catch me at the right time. So, because <laughs> I mean, listen, bro, if I mess around and do a you know, four figure, five figure amount on a crypto and it hits <laughs> seven figures right there off of, you know, easy. So I'm, I'm, I bring up Kevin Durant cause he put in 2 million and yep. up 50. And so yeah, like, I see, you know, I see that. And yep. so it's like, but what's 2 million to a guy like Kevin Durant? Nothing. Right. So he's Nothing. like, I'll fuck drop around. in the bucket. Yeah. I'll fuck around and do that. You know? Yeah. I'll I'll, just yeah. keep, I'll keep moving money around and do whatever. So I mean, I say all that to say I know we spend a lot of time on crypto and you know Dogecoin, and we're not holding ourselves out to be any type of experts. I really want to make sure of that. So, but um, right, it is the new. It's not a new. It's I'm gonna say it. It's a new wave, but it's not. It's it's not. It's not going away to the point where I saw a financial analyst um, in a real estate market talk about how crypto is going to be the way in which houses are actually sold as far as mm. entitled insurance um you're not hmm. entitled insurance is going to become irrelevant paperwork can become irrelevant because you can actually track better with the way with title insurance and and real estate so um yeah. interesting yeah anyway really interesting. yeah i know we but yeah we kind of delved off um off the uh, a little bit off the off the rails here but i mean i just think it's something that we should um everybody can consider another thing that happened in, in this week in um I think just hip up uh, in the culture is Nick Nick Cannon out here dropping another baby. Wait, Nick Cannon. <laughs> Nick Cannon has got a who, who Nick got, who Nick got a baby by now. Nick got Nick got someone else pregnant. I don't even want to talk about that. I just want to just recognize that ever since Nick Cannon put on the Philosopher's Stones turban, you know, <laughs> ever since he's put on the Philosopher's Stones turban, uh, shout out to the Harry Potter fans who get it. Um. That man's been like turban on, condoms off. <laughs> that Listen, I, where's the where's the Fifty Cent song? Have a baby by me, baby. Be, be a millionaire. Be a millionaire. <laughs> like, come on, Nick. Good lord, if, I see it now. If, if Nick expecting is, twins, he's expecting twins with a, a woman named Abby De La Rosa. It's irrelevant. A social media user. It's irrelevant. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Nick, if you want to impregnate somebody else, I, I'm going to offer up my wife. <laughs> if you, you know, if you, if you giving out money like that, you know, so, uh, but anyway. Have um, a baby by Nick, baby. Be, be a millionaire. Be a millionaire. How about it? Um, yeah. So that's on that. Anyway, speaking. She looked very, okay, go ahead. Sorry. I was looking at pictures of what old girl, you? like. <laughs> Okay. All right. <laughs> anyway, there's no really anyway. No, there's no transition from from that. No, nah, not at all. <laughs> not no at all. Let's keep it moving. Let's keep it moving. There's no transition from that. 
Um, let's just get into some shows. Speaking of a show that there's nothing, there's no transition. Let's just go to Snowfall. I was gonna do, a, yeah. I was gonna do a bad segue, but I'm not even gonna do it. Let's just get into Snowfall. So, man, so it's been about a couple weeks. three or four weeks since we last talked about it. Um, I'm gonna say it. This may be one of my favorite seasons yet of Snowfall. Um, I thoroughly enjoy the story. I think that the writers have done an excellent job um, with this storyline. And uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched last week's episode, pause the podcast, check the timeline, check the uh, right. the timestamps, go to the next subject matter. I'll give you a second to do so. Right. Um, that last episode could have been the finale for me and I'd have been set. It could have been a finale, right? Because that could have been it right there. So let's talk about that, man. Because first of all, I was really happy. I was first, I was getting irritated with Franklin this season. I was too. I was too. Like, like you were not thinking, man. Franklin was not yeah. thinking this, this season. He wasn't. He wasn't moving like a boss. He, they, the first half of the season, he he wasn't making boss moves, yeah. and it, you felt like like he was falling behind to the point where I, I think previous discussions we had was who's going to overthrow him, like who's going to who's going to take his spot. Um, but uh, Franklin came through in the clutch, bro. Listen, you know how he started moving pieces around and thinking. I was like, okay, that's kind of the Franklin yeah. we know. You know what I mean? Because he was just operating at one point, not really thinking it way through. And um, I don't know, man. I was I will say that I always knew old girl was shady. I, yeah, I never had a. You always, anytime they introduce a new cast member in of in season four mm-hmm. you you know from the first time we saw her we all looked at her skeptically like yeah. who who is this chick who, who's this chick coming in here like in in holding the heart in franklin's confiding in sitting sitting between her legs doing the the braid my hair yeah <laughs> like who is who is this chick so she was she was been seen with skeptical eyes throughout the whole season yeah and she was way too like interested in the business you know for someone that hasn't been around so i just was never really feeling her so i'm glad he finally peeped her a little bit yeah. you know um, yeah but she do- messed up she messed up when well first teddy had that conversation with franklin and I think that that woke him up when he had that conversation with Frank with uh, Teddy, yeah. and he was like, "Watch, watch the people in your circle. Like, don't trust anybody. Right? Don't trust anybody. Right. From this point like, on, like you're you, yeah. from this point on, you're on another level now. Yeah. Like you're you're on you're on another level. You're in, um, you know the the boss level, and you can't just trust anybody, even the closest ones to you. Right. And so. And at that point, Franklin was already pissed because he had that scene where great scene when um, they were in the club and all of them were mad at him. And he's looking at them like, you ungrateful motherfuckers. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to be I'm the one taking I'm taking the heat. I'm the one that gets the heat. Yeah. I'm the quarterback. Right. I'm the quarterback of the team. I'm the one that gets the heat. Like, how dare you come at me like. Like, you know, y'all y'all can be affected in some form or way. Your public image can be affected. Like, I'm the boss. Everybody knows I'm the boss. Right. And so, I mean, Teddy was, was 100% about that. And it's just forcing Franklin to look at things from a different perspective as opposed to, like, you know, 
I'm still street level, you know, and, right. and everybody I can, whoever I bring in, um, it's someone I can trust in my circle. And so, um, I, I did appreciate that. One thing I think was fascinating about his inner circle is how his dad all turned that turned into a snitch. Snitch. Sniggity, you know, snitch, snitch, snitch. You know what I didn't understand about that though? I'm like, okay, let's let's break that down. Like, why? Uh huh. All right, you're you're a former Black Panther member, right? You already think the government is nefarious in the way they operate. Correct. You don't trust them, and yet you think you can talk to a reporter, and that's not going to come out to be messy. Like you and I, mm-hmm. Robert, just you and I, just basic common sense to be like. If I know something that the government's involved in, you think you and I are going to go on record? And no. Talk, we're like, I'm not getting on record. Are you crazy? Heck no. Heck no. And, and they claim that we can be safe, that yeah. we can be protected. You can't protect you. You can't protect me. You can't protect my family. Like, he actually believed that reporter that, oh, they can protect us. Like, how naive, how dumb can you be? Like you said, as a former Black Panther on yeah. top of that. I was like... What is happening? What I think happened was for his mental working, working in that shelter for um, crack addicts, Mm -hmm. seeing it every day and seeing it, you know, it it messed with him. It messed with him mentally, seeing it every day where he he wasn't operating with a full deck. He He didn't operate logically and made a dumbass move. Cause I'm like, yeah, you think you're gonna stop something that's literally you you gonna you think you're gonna stop the federal government from doing what they want to do? Like that was like the most asinine thing. And then even to the reporter, I was like, what do you think was gonna happen with this? Right. You, the the, the right. self righteousness of like, and that's what she irritated me. She she went in there with the idea that oh yeah, I'm gonna report it and that's I'm gonna shut this shit down. And it's like, what? <laughs> Maybe I'm just a cynic, but I just—if I were her coworker, I'd be like, if she would have told me her plan, I'd be like, I need you to walk. I need you to settle down, Re- relax. Yep. I need you to relax. Yep. Okay, you're not shutting shit down. The only thing that's going to get <laughs> shut down is your internal organs because they're going to kill you. This local paper. So we really think a local paper is going to take down the government? Come on. Come like, on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Hey, you ain't winning no Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> no, <laughs> whatever you think is going to come out of it is not what you think is going to come out of it, and that's right. what I just—I was a little irritated with her, um, in that regard, and I think it shows like the recklessness of reporting something as massive as that, right? That's the big—that's right. the big takeaway. Like, if you're gonna, you know, what they talk about in the wire. Um, if you're going to take on, if you, you're going to shoot at the king, you best not miss, right? Mm-hmm. So speaking of which, there are conversations on Twitter saying that, is this the best um, drug show ever? Like compared, compared to The Wire, um, compared to The Wire and... Uh, do they compare them to non-black shows like Sopranos? No, no, no. They do, but they do compare to non-black in um, Breaking Bad. Uh okay okay so they're saying the reason why something like this is more relatable to the wire is more relatable relatable than the wire is that and then it relates more less to the breaking breaking bad because 
we are invested in the lead character. And like, okay. and we are invested in lead character that's a criminal. You think about it, in The Wire, McNulty was the main, was really the focus. They, now, he didn't fo- show up in one season. I think that's the one with the docs, right? But then they went right. back and to the street level, and McNulty was the quote-unquote main character on that show. There really wasn't a lot of star people on the show. It was like, it was a, a, an ensemble piece, right? For the wild. Correct. Right. There's no, there's no one character that stands out in your mind as the face of the wire. Which is the point, right? Because drugs mm-hmm. is not just a singular person. It's multiple, you know, individuals yep. or entities all working in the consignment of this industry. Right. Right. And so right. that's more, that's more realistic ideally right because if one person falls just the wire made a point of yeah one person is is the he- the top person and then the streets take them out and then another person crops up just like that right immediately just like that yeah the streets the, the streets doesn't stop it everything keeps it's a never-ending cycle it's a never-ending yeah. cycle you know um and so they really didn't want to focus in on particular uh, the public getting invested for like four or five seasons in this in a crime family as much mm-hmm. as they wanted to just talk about the the main character was crime. The main character wasn't the individuals. That makes sense. Right? And you know what? And they worked that to their advantage. So you get the sense the writers utilize that and it allowed them to materialize and grow the story and keep the story rolling and rolling for five seasons worth of work. Right. And you got to understand the person who's the, the writer of the wire, he was a reporter for the Baltimore sun or something like that, or. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, he, his, pers- and he dealt, he was a reporter dealing on talking about crime and, and, and um, city hall. So that was his beat. And so he had a perspective on that, that, most people aren't going to have. And so um, just going back to uh, Breaking Bad and Snowfall, Snowfall is a very centralized story of one of, right. of a particular individual rise through the criminal ranks. And um, so comparatively, where do you place Snowfall in those three shows? Or do you, or as some people say, you got it's you got to compare it between Breaking Bad and Snowfall. Where do you, or is it too early to say? If I were to compare Breaking Bad and Snowfall, so I did watch all of Breaking Bad. Great show. Um, I'm more invested in Snowfall. Call it because it's about the black community mm-hmm. and uh, um, a tragic story that happened in our history um, that our government put in place. Uh, so whereas Breaking Bad felt more like a fairy tale, mm-hmm. so to speak. Where I'm sure there's many, much many truths in Breaking Bad, but this is Snowfall is based on historically accurate information that has affected the Black community. So yes, I'm more invested into Snowfall. And we kind of know how the story ends. Like we, right. Franklin represents um, free Freeway Rick, Rick Ross, right? Yeah, not, not the rapper, but the real Rick Ross. Um, and so. We know where that story ends up, right? Uh, and so right. it's just a matter of time before this life catches up to him. But in still in that, we're if I find myself still rooting for him because we kind of like, well, maybe he's not going to get caught. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, because you know, it's still it's still a story. Right. So they can they can still 
adjusted. They don't they they haven't painted the story to be a document document um documentary. Yeah. They've painted the story. It's based on historically accurate information, but it's still a story. Yeah. So we can kind of twist it and turn it to our liking. So maybe you never know. I wouldn't be surprised if in season five, they say, all right, season five is the last season and Franklin rides off in the sunset. Right. He gets his. I wouldn't be surprised. He gets to exit out the game. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, it's, it's, I doubt it <laughs> because <it's, laughs> right. it seems right. like it's all coming to a place to where he's either going to end up dead or in jail. Cause I don't, yeah. it's not sustainable what he's oper- how he's operating. It's not right. sustainable. Um, and if you look at the history of um, John Singleton films and stories, you know, he's he there's not a lot ton of happy endings. Yeah. You know, in in John Singleton has been known he he will kill off a, ma- a main character to so, keep the real to t- keep it real as possible. So I, 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 I mentioned rapper Freeway, the rapper Rick Ross, because right now, Franklin, there was a meme that went around that said uh, Rick Ross his all his songs are just like the high point of a drug montage video. Like, yeah. like everything is like the, like right before the person gets caught. Like it's like the best of times, right? You know, like all his rhymes are like his prosperity is is prosperity drug drug gospel. You know, um, and so right that now, is so true. It is, that is it's, so it's, true. If you listen to it. It's no struggle rap. It's all like the best of times. Like we. We flipped the key. I flipped, I sold some dope on my iPhone. No, no repercussions. <laughs> Nothing bad. Everything is great. Um, life is good. My whole team's got my whole team got a Rolls Royce. <laughs> yeah. It's let's see. A- Aston Martin music. Yeah. One right. hustling. Right. Two. Yeah. Gold roses. Yeah. <laughs> and the list goes on. The list goes on. Really, right now. Uh, Rick Ross, his entire catalog is like season five of Snowfall. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it's like or not, or season four, right? Right before season, season four, season right before, four, right. yeah, right before the downfall, right before the, right downfall, before the downfall. Right. It's like everything's great. <laughs> you know, his entire catalog <laughs> is like one one season of like Snowfall. Like it's just um, I, I, blowing but, money fast. Blowing money fast. <laughs> BMF. Listen, <laughs> listen, there's no there's no song. <laughs> That he has where like, yo, the shit was shit was bad. The shit was terrible. The shit was bad. I mean, I have a lot of <laughs> I have a lot of regrets of my drug dealing past. <laughs> Rick Ross has no regrets in his drug dealing past. It's, oh man. It's up, it, when it's up and it's up and it's, and it's stuck, right? <laughs> right now it shit is stuck for Rick Ross. But um Um Hey, going back to um this uh the last few episodes, yeah. um I know Twitter, we knew Twitter went off when I think it was in episode eight at the end when they saw Franklin's cane come up behind the old girl oh, yeah, when yeah. she was snitching. They were like, oh, yep, Okay. Our boy is back. Finally. Okay. <laughs> He's finally back. He's he finally here. Though? That's what I want to know. How did, how, did, what? how did he get in her apartment? I don't know. Oh, I mean, come on now. I mean, I don't know. Pick the lot. Pe- Peaches picked the lot. Who knows? You yeah, know, something real simple. Yeah, something oh, real you know simple. What? It, it did show him early in the season that Peaches was, could pick locks. 
That's true. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Boom. There it is. Yeah. Yep. So that's true. Yep. Um, yep. And another thing. And she messed up. She messed up when she called Man Boy by his real name. Oh. When they were outside the hospital. And first of all, she was too too into the plan. She was too down for you the were cause. Way too excited hey, about this. Hey, yeah. Franklin. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Hey. What are we gonna do now? <laughs> it was she was way I was like, first of all, you need to calm down. <laughs> right. Slow your roll. Slow your first roll. of all. First of all. You yeah. just you just the you just the uh flavor of the week right yeah. now. You just calm down. My girl, you ain't involved in this. You know? Right. <laughs> so the fact that you want to know the plans is really kind of got me like on my P's and Q's right now. Like what's going on with you? Yeah. But I didn't yep. catch that he did she did use um his real name and that's what peeped Franklin like, Oh, you real familiar with the old boy. Yeah, you got him on speed dial too. Yeah. Like, oh for real? Yeah. Okay. Yep. That 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 solid I think that solidified whatever thoughts Franklin was already having beforehand. That was the nail in the coffin. Like, yep. Okay, I know what time it is with you. In the beginning of the season, I couldn't figure out if she's working for the government or for Man Boy. And then, as, obviously, right. the seasons went the day um, the season went on. I figured out it was Man Boy, but um, yeah, she was she overplayed her hand on that one. Yeah, but also definitely she was forced to because Man Boy was pressing her about right, you know, um, with her brother and everything. Yeah, so he was he was pressing her, and so Man Boy played his overplayed his hand. He did. He started. And so it was interesting, right? So the last few episodes, we saw Franklin be a little more strategic and man boy get a little more sloppy. He started feeling the pressure. And I think part of it came from his sister, Khadijah. She's pushing him, pushing him. You ain't doing, you ain't doing nothing. Like you're supposed to avenge your, your niece and everything. And he's just like, I got shit losing it. Yeah. Yeah. And to the point where I really liked how Franklin flipped it on Khadijah when she hired those two girls yep. to go take uh, take out Leon. Franklin played he could have he could have played the you know the cold blooded move, but he played it smart. Yeah. He's like, hey, money talks. Right. You want to become an employee? Come up from out the cold. You know. Yep. And shout out yep. to the aunt for being like level headed. Be like, yeah, I know they shot me, but we got to think business. Let's. The- that was really let's keep it up. Let's keep it a buck. Yeah. Aunt Louie, she she's low key like the 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 general she, of the of the t- squad. She's actually she's really second in charge. She really is. She really is. Yeah. Like she she's she really is the brain. She matches the wits with Franklin. Even I think acts as a mentor advisor. Yeah. For Franklin. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Whereas um Unk Unk is the muscle. Yeah, he is the muscle. He's a street dude. He's a guy who keeps shit on the level, you know. Yeah. Um Yeah. You know, Leon is the heart, Unk is the muscle, and Louie's the brain. There you go. There you go. You know? And so now we come into the season finale coming up. Um <laughs> it's funny. So Ashley and I were watching the preview and we were kind of looking at it like, eh. I don't really give a damn about Pops. Like, he could die. He could die. I don't care. That's really weird how I feel about that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't like, really care if he, what happened eh, to him. That's not going to be overly dramatic. Like, I felt like this last episode really could have been the finale. Like, I don't care what happens to Pops now. He's a snitch. You know what the problem is? Is what they, the, the one fault I'll give the, um, 
Snowfall is that they they fucked up and they made him irrelevant when he did what he did. Mm-hmm. They didn't write that. They they his turn was too quick. It was. You know, what it mean? was. He went from like knowing his son was involved to being utterly shocked. Now I understand what you're saying. Every day being in the mix of it and especially the death of that one um, person who left their child. And I think that really fucked his, his mental, but it was still like, damn, you just went ahead and just sold out your son that quick. You didn't even have a conversation. Like it was just, that's, kinda... that's what I'm saying. Why didn't he go back to the squad? Yeah. Be like, listen, man. He said, yo, there's this reporter lady asking me all kinds of questions. How, how can we, ha- how do we handle this? Right. And to be honest, like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I don't want to do yeah. it. I'm tired. I'm mentally, it's messing me up. I kind of want to step away. We should all step away. Oh, you don't want to do that? Well, I'm stepping away. You know, like, it's yep. just, and I'm taking your mom with me. But the mom, she was all, she's all into it. She just doesn't. Oh, like yeah. It. But she's also, like, looking at her son like, damn, you really about to murder? You? Like, she's, she's kind of, you know, okay, you know what remind me of? Godfather 1. And remember okay. the last Take scene? Take me back. Yep. The last scene when, when. She asked um, Michael, she says, uh, you know, she asked Michael a question, you know, regarding, and he said, I'll, I'll give you this one time to talk about my family business. And then she says, she says okay, you know, uh, did you murder, you know, so-and-so's husband, right? And he says, no. And then she, as the scene closes, like, she, he's in there and somebody says Godfather. And then they're kissing his ring and then the, the doors close and she's looking at him skeptical, Right. That's the way she, that's where the mom was looking at Franklin when she finally uh-huh. sees him talking to the plug, like looking at him like, oh, you might be the devil. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you know? And she's, and she's conflicted because on one hand, she's living a more prosperous life. Because remember, go back to season one, that's why Franklin even got in the gate because yeah. they were struggling. Yeah. They were struggling as a, as a single mom. Right. She was struggling. So Franklin b- brought them out of the bottoms, yeah. literally. So she's conflicted on that hand. Um, but at the same time, you're right. She knows like, shit, what, what, what have I encouraged? What have I created yeah. here? Yeah. Um, so yeah, see, I mean, season finale, I don't know. I mean, I really don't, I, I don't care. I kinda, I kinda don't it's kind of one of those things where like, the season is already set for me. It, so, the board is already set. The, the board has been set. Things have been done. Yeah. It's kind of like, I, the only thing I wonder about is like Franklin's relationship now with the plug because Teddy's no longer the plug anymore. So that's the loose end. And he noticed he never said anything to Franklin. So so that's the question I, I've heard asked. Is he, was he lying to old girl that whole time? Like, is he still the plug? Is he going to remain the plug? Or is the um, government actually going to kick him out? Are they for like, was he telling the truth to her and then killed her? Or was he just blowing smoke up her ass? I think there was a, I, I feel like there, it was true because he walked out. Remember the guys and then his boy was like, all right, you know, shook his hand like, and he's, he whispered in the air, don't trust nobody. Like pretty much. Right. You know, so I don't know. I think Franklin's still going to be the, is still going to have access to the drugs, but I wonder where Teddy's relationship takes. Right. Him. And, you know, to that point where it makes him a little bit more dangerous now. Is it, and are they going to put a new plug in, in season five, maybe? Like, are they going to give Franklin a new plug and then we have to 
maybe that's the main plot of season five is that new dynamic, that new relationship with this new plug. And, ooh, I just thought about it. And so that might be the thing to where that puts him in jail. Because remember, Teddy said in the beginning this season, like, don't worry, when things get hot, I'm going to let you know ahead of time so you can get out. Like, I'm going to protect you. Remember he said, I will protect you. You know? Right, right. And, you know, now Franklin's going to be dealing with somebody that's not going to be protecting him. Not at all. Not at all. And so that's going to be the the new, the new dynamic. It's not shit's not going to be as sweet, you know. Yeah. So um, yeah. So that's kind of the things. That's I think that's what we can look forward to, the season finale. Yeah. Speaking of um, shady governments and season finales coming up, <laughs> Falcon and Winter Soldier. Man, man. So I'm gonna say this, bro. Like. During this season, I was not a big fan of Uncle Sam. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> Sam, Sam, Sam. I was not a big fan of Sam. You know, I mean, I don't know. He was kind of like so, he was kind of whack. To, but but he's grown on me, and but, I'll tell you what happened. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. you're you're right on because I think everything that you're feeling is intentional. That's exactly what Marvel wanted you to feel right. about Sam. The cover over the eyes black man who you know um kind of fell into the spell of the american government of what america is what you can do the the optimistic black male where hey if you do everything right if you move you make all the right moves nothing can stop you like there's nothing that can hold you back and now especially um with that wonderful scene that I know we're going to discuss with uh, the um, with uh, ah, what's my man's Isaiah Isaiah yes yeah. with Isaiah um, now you start to see the the uh, the cover come off his eyes and he he's starting to wake up a little bit yeah you know I, I it's it's interesting because I'm glad they played him to a place of where you were your, to your point you were like I don't I'm not really feeling this dude you know, yeah, and yeah. Then, as the season's gone on, he's starting to, I don't know, I guess getting a little bit more wise, more woke is this, is the best term, for lack of his his term. eyes are opening, his eyes are opening a little wider. So yeah. the point where I thought about something, even to the point where, remember when they were dealing with um, Sharon Carter and. Mm-hmm. Everybody else kind of was like more aware than him. Like they were like talking about, oh, I get it. It's, it's Sam's not as worldly as everybody else. And they were like, and he kind of put the phone up and like, oh shit, this picture is like an original. Like basically it's kind of taken off. Like he, he operated both on the grand scale and even on the local scale with his, with his sister, his sister, you know, kind of played him to the left. Like, you don't, I mean, you you like, know, you really don't know what's going on out here. Like, that scene in the bank. Right, you don't know what's going on. So, it's like, he don't know what's going on locally. He don't know what's going on internationally. He's just kind of like, he just, but what that shows. But it it, it, it kind of shows, like, right. you know, he's he's been an Avenger. So, he's been living in this, out of this universe world, out of touch with reality mm-hmm. for too long. For too, ever since, ever since Steve Rogers pulled him by his side, He's been out of touch with reality, and this has been his rude awakening back into reality. Yeah. Um, so, 
All right. It's that, but also the point of him being a person, a black man in the military, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and being in the military has, it almost gives you a scope, a limited scope of the world. It's just a scope of American idealism. You feel, you feel me? Yep. I hear you. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of like what I think is the, the biggest thing is <clears throat> him actually being a, a member of the military. And I'm not, you know, first of all, you know, shout out to the troops. I'm not, I've never been a member of the military. No disrespect. Um, For sure. You know, it's one of those things though, where I think it shows the conditioning of the military mind. When you, yeah. when you get in there and you have to be conditioned to, in order to do what they ask you to do, you have to, they have to condition you to think a certain way and operate a certain way. And it shows the effect of that where Bucky, his conditioning was on one side of it because of the, you know, on the gruesome side, Sam's conditioning was the subtleness of looking at America through a particular prism or lens. And yep. this mm-hmm. series has done a job of removing that lens from him and looking at it from a more holistic point of view and making him more of a relatable character. Right. You know? Right. Because- You're right. Cause like you said, Bucky, he's lived a more worldly holistic. And so he's seen not just America, but he's been over here in Russia. He's been over here. He's been over there. So he has a more worldly open lens of what governments are like, what different governments are like. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you see something like, oh, okay, I see how they do it over here. Right. But I don't like how they're doing it. Whereas for a lot of Americans, all we know is America. That's all we know. Right. Yeah. So we're blinded to whatever America tells us is right versus wrong. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I, I, I find it fascinating that because ideally Sam is the only like quote unquote human in the series because Bucky mm-hmm. is a super soldier. The new Captain America now is a super soldier. We'll get into that. Yeah. Um, and but at the end of the day, he was the least relatable in the beginning. Even right. though he was the, he was a human with no powers, but he was the least relatable. And now he's getting to a place of where he's relatable as a character, you know. Yeah, and he's not as yeah. you're not as irritated with him as like and, the way and, he sees things. And it took it took a revolutionary in the flag smashers and um, the young lady. Uh, with the flag smashers, um, Carly. It took Carly in her being a revolutionary. It took him to actually see this representation of America in this new captain that's come about. And it is also took him having to partner with the Winter Soldier, someone who has a more worldly, holistic point of view and put all those things together. And it's like, these are all people that, that Falcon needed right. to really understand like, Oh, there's so much more than what I've been witness to. Right. And you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating because it takes a, a smattering or a hodgepodge of experiences to kind of give you your own lens of the world. You yeah. Know? Like it's yeah. not, it shouldn't be just one person or one particular thing that brought it out. It's always to be something else. And I think that's where I, uh, 
you know, it showed that Sam is becoming a more whole person and um, learning and he's listening more. And honestly, but he had the personality to do so because it reminded you in the yeah. series that that's how he started. He started at remember in um, the Winter Soldier Marvel that uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. He said, I'm a counselor for those who for for um, those in the military. So his his yeah. his training is in counseling. His training is in listening. Now it's finally yep. though. Now he's listening for himself, not just in the academic self sense, but also in the personal. Like I'm listening, and I'm. It's finally coming in. And one thing that I think that's really fascinating. Another thing that's fascinating. We could see one thing, but another thing that's fascinating with that is he doesn't have the training wheels of Steve Rogers anymore. Because it was easy for him to be. The um, it's easy for him to to kind of be the sidekick or Captain America because he's it's you know he glorifies Captain America and we all do right 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 but then right. when he's no longer there he has nobody else to shield him from the reality of what it is he could just uh, what, who, yep it's easy to uh, for years he was just following following behind him you know what I mean following up behind him following up behind him and now he's not following up behind him. And that's what probably it took him off base a little bit because it put, it made him uncomfortable. Like, who is he without Captain America? You you hit it right on the head there. You hit it right on the head there. It's it it allowed him to grow at a t- in a sense of you know he wasn't prepared for the growth that was coming his way. Right. And and he wasn't prepared for the um, the experiences of seeing someone like an Isaiah Bradley and hearing these stories um, that are comparable to the Tuskegee Institute and and um, having that rude awakening of, you know, no, uh, America's got some nasty, dirty secrets. And even your boy, Captain America his hands ain't completely clean either because he turned a blind eye to this also. So it's weird because I remember the watching, I was, I felt crazy. I felt crazy behind this. I didn't, I didn't have a blog at the time, but watching the first Avenger, the first Captain America movie. And I would say that one of the things that bothered me about the movie, it was that how did they have a movie depicted at that time and him not address like and he has black people and all these other races and him not did not even address like some of the the social mores at that time injustices in, in, in the, the military mm-hmm. in the military like they didn't really talk about it like I I was dying for a line to where they would have had in Captain America if somebody would have said something prejudiced to one of the, the you know um the, the I forget the guy the character's name in the in the first Avenger but the black soldier. Um, and he would have been like, yeah, no, that's not American. Like, you know what I mean? Like I would have, yeah. but like to act like that didn't exist. Like there weren't, weren't prejudices in the time. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, they kind of talked about it with the guy where the guy said, where are you from? And talking about the Asian gentleman and he's in the guy, the Asian person said, I'm from Fresno. You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, but I just felt like, um, they could have dived a little deeper, a couple minutes into that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Just a couple lines. But what it, and it made me crazy. And that, that's why I was never like, I liked the movie, but I didn't put it up there because I was like, it missed the mark. And yeah. maybe that was by choice because it took, you know, all the way from 2011 now into 2021 <laughs> to where you kind of say, well, that was part of the naivete of Captain America. There you go. You know what I mean? There because you go. He didn't see the things 
hovering above, he was hovering above ground. He didn't really look to where the surface of like, we're going to address this. And maybe that was the thing, or maybe they, they look back and like, we could have, we could have made it, maybe addressed it. You know? You wonder, and you, and you, that, that's a great question. You wonder if it was in the plans all along, or, you know, I think that, you know, trust in Feige. Yeah, I think that Feige. the, the writers for Marvel are able to analyze and compartmentalize what's happening in the, in the real world yeah. and say, you know what, let's put this in this next script. Right. Let's address, let's it. do this. Right. Let's address this in this next script. And Bucky to the point where he says something fast and he's like, Hey, you know, maybe Steve and I were, you know, naive and I'm paraphrasing and that we didn't understand what it means for a black man to be Captain America. We just kind of, yeah. we, we didn't really ex acknowledge that part, you know? Um, we just kind of said, hey, you're Captain America. You need to take, accept the shield. And it was almost like sociologically, Sam wasn't ready. And even mentally, he wasn't ready because we talked about him then getting out the shadow. But even just you can't accept that symbol without knowing the history behind it. Because you're, behind a, that you're, symbol. A, you're a black man. You're not a you're not a six foot four, blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, uh, um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, ideal. You know, you're not an Aryan ideal. You know what I mean? Anglo ideal, you know? Man, to the point when perfect setup for that, which I think is an iconic dialogue with him and Isaiah Bradley, yeah. where he's basically saying, I'm paraphrasing, um, if you knew what it would, what it meant to be Captain America, no... Self-respect. No, yeah, no respectable black man would even think of claiming that right. title, right? Which, if you knew the, the the demons behind it, which it was such a incredible line because it's like, what is black patriotism? Mm. You know, and I think that's something that still really we can we to gotta, this day to this day we got to figure that out, right? Um, yeah, I, I should probably do a podcast on that. But like, what exactly is black patriotism in this world? Um, and how does that look like? And, you know, Isaiah speaks on that, right? He speaks on the ideal of no self-respecting black man would want to be deemed Captain America um, because of what America represents. Now, of course, that was laced with Isaiah's own life on how the government has treated him. You know, Correct. They didn't even, Correct. They, 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 they tore him, took him away from his family, didn't let his wife know he was alive experimented on his friends and brothers like you know what i mean like he went through hell so he's coming for the lens of yeah like fuck america you know yeah. like i don't get they, right. they they didn't give a fuck about me why did I, and, and so when he sees it like, to the point where sam brings in the shield he's like you can keep you can keep that shit in the slip i don't want to see that shit i don't even want to see it I, that shit means i don't even want to see it that means nothing to me remember carly said and and then sam said it too on two senses that shield means something different to everyone you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's like we didn't understand that statement, but then you see it, it's like, yeah, depending on who that, that to the flag smashers, it represents the imperialism. Yeah. You know, like, yep. think about what, like, we'll talk about them in a second, but just staying on this topic of, of social construct of, of being a, a black patriot. Um, but for someone who has felt the ills of society on the social, on the social landscape in America, He's not a big fan of what that of what the flag represents. Not even, let alone the flag standard bearer on a shield. You know what right. I mean? And 
let's just keep it real. Um, it was a funny statement, but it was a throwaway line, but it was still made. It still was made of vibranium. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's not even a natural American product. Nope. Nope. It's, it's the rare, it's the rarest, blackest product in the world. The rarest, blackest product that you, in the world. That you stole from, that you use. To put your shit for on. For your. Yeah. Come on now. To Come put on now. your shit on. So, like, it's not even really an American product. That's why the, the woman said, secret. here's a little, little known secret or an ugly, dirty secret. It's kind of a gray area if uh, um if America owns that shield because mm. that's vibranium. That's not they didn't give that to fucking you know. No, they could if they were that, that that wasn't that wasn't mined from from the the mountains of West Montana, Virginia. yeah, West Virginia. <laughs> of West Virginia. Right. Like, yeah. no, that came from Wakanda, right? That came from the motherland, right? So it's even in that sense, it's like that. Shield even probably represents something different to the Wakandans. Like, okay, so you got our product out there with your with your symbol on it. That, you know what I mean? Like to the point, but yeah. the Wakandans don't really give them. They it's just vibranium to them. Like, but it still matters because right. that's their culture. But they were unless uh, Io said she was like, oh no, leave the shield. But they were about to take it. They were like, uh, yeah. yeah, this is our shit, and it would nobody would have blinked. You know. Um, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that because let's take a quick pause and just recognize the Dora Milaje oh, and how boss they were. <laughs> that was such a dope scene when she hit that um that sense that sense touch oh, yeah. on on his arm and that bad boy fell off. I was oh I'm done. I'm take me now, girl. That, <laughs> was, that was such a and in, in my mind I'm like yeah of course they put in a fail safe device of a. Of a an assassin who doesn't have whose brain has been scrambled a thousand times, yeah, yeah, you know, a, a, an unbreakable arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm it's only smart. It's only thinky thinkers. Nick, we're thinkers. We're thinkers. I'm not gonna just. Oh, you you thought shit was sweet. I'm just gonna give you this. No, 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 no. So you can use that. Pop, 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 pop. You know, <laughs> you put an alarm code on that shit. <laughs> <laughs> And then just gave him a look like, yeah, just so you know, there's a lot more shit I know. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. You know, right. She ain't sweet. You know, if so, you ever thought about, you know, yeah, getting it twisted or switching over or or double crossing us, mm, think again, yeah, buddy. Yeah, we got we we always got some shit on, on some different steps ahead of you. Um, always, listen, always. That scene though, where they whooped, they whooped that dude's ass so bad. <laughs> <laughs> that man decided to get on some steroids. <laughs> he was like, "We natural ain't great for me." <laughs> give, they me give me the Barry Bonds ass. Give me. He the was Barry so Bonds defeated. You're like, right to the point where he said, uh, "I can't do this." Like, do this. and I get it. I get it. Like, I'm supposed to be Captain America, and these women. These people aren't even breaking a sweat not even breaking, they were to deal to, with me. They handled me so quickly and so effortlessly. <laughs> Light said, work. Light work. Which just goes to show you this is how elite Dora Milaje. This is supposed to be the elite of elite of like American, you know, um, I guess physicality, right? Without yeah. And these women handled them <laughs> so quickly and so easily. That it Easy was, work. It was just like, uh, that's that's funny, man. But I mean, I know that. And they tried to warn him. They tried to warn him. They, they were like, him. "Hey, bro, this ain't what you want." But he fucked this... around and found out. But he fucked around and found out. 
you know? Yep. And so then he went crazy because then he, it was that, that, that episode saw his, his black friend die. I, I say yeah. black friend because his friend and his wife, I, it's weird. They really have no. Isn't that interesting imagery that they use? Yeah. That they gave this new symbolic, um, cookie cutter white boy figure a black wife and a black best friend. Yeah. And they gave him no real character moments. Yeah. Right. So they were kind of right. like ornaments to his story. Which is a message. <laughs> you know. And now I find it also interesting that as we saw the at this last episode, that even for him, for this new Captain America, John Walker, you know, he, John Walker, we saw he even he saw how quickly the government can flip on you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, you thought you thought because of all these years of service that you gave to us and all these missions and that we sent you on, like at the very most, it just prevented you from being completely court-martialed and completely like sentenced to jail. It, it all it did was save you from jail time, but don't get it twisted. We'll flip the script on you too if you do what's dirty. I don't care what you look like. You thought shit was sweet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thought you had a friend. Thought you had a friend. <laughs> Cause he damn sure was in that in that uh courtroom, like, wait a minute, but I just killed like one hundred insurgents for you and this is the thanks I get. They said, thank you, come again. They thank you, come again. <laughs> Thought you had a friend. Moving on, next hearing, sir. <laughs> Good luck with your life. <laughs> Good luck, buddy. Good luck. Best of luck. Yep. Best of luck, buddy. Get no, you, got, you, got no, you got no retirement. Best of luck. <laughs> Yo, so I thought I thought that was a very uh, poetic me, moment. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, that moment for him. Let me just say this. I'm not saying I agree with how he operated, right? And I'm not saying I agree with anything. But if I was working for the government and I did all this shit for them, and then they'd be like, oh, yeah, you ain't got no retirement, by the way. Right, right. I'm not saying I agree with him, but I understand. <laughs> I understand why he's pissed off and went angry. Because that would make me feel angry too. I'm like, you dirty motherfucker. I'd be I'd be tempted to uh oh, turn to the dark side yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd be yeah. tempted to turn get a little Darth Vader in me as well. Cause I'm like, <laughs> hold up. Wait a minute, hold up. Okay, you, f- you fire me, but no no benefits? <laughs> no benefit. No pension. No, no pension. pension. No benefits. No nothing. That make a man go crazy. Cut like, you off, bro. Especially when you've been in your mind, you be like, I'm going to at least have benefits. Yeah, okay, they might kick me out the military, but at least I might get these benefits. I mean, again, I'm I'm not military, but I would think that if you're with serving the country, part of the benefits that's in your mind is okay once i'm done with my service i'm set this is the deal that i've made right i give you my body i give you my my heart and everything and in return you take care of me right right nope oh well well. always fubu (laughs) tough break always fubu Oh man! All right. So All right. Speaking of, speaking of the government, you know, pulling the wool over people's eyes and not being, and not being trustworthy, and all this other stuff. 
um, and I'm going somewhere with this. Yep. We are going to get into them. So mm-hmm. right now, if you haven't watched the series, the, the anthology series, them, uh, please, 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 please get the fuck off. Because <laughs> we're, we're going to go deep into this. Yeah, one. we're going to get spoilers alert, right? So, so yeah. All right. So, I, what I found fascinating, um, and I, I did. I'm going to first say the transition of reason. I said government. Uh, this was based off of after World War II. Um, right. The the government created the, G, the GI Bill, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. as a reward for those serving in in World War II, the GI Bill, and it it created this stabiliza- stabilization of the country economically where they took on a lot of the debt to put people back to work and give them a st- the middle class lifestyle. So GI Bill, giving people to let people go back to college, um, allowing them to buy homes, right? And it, it stabilized the workforce. And the government actually had the highest tax rate at the time. Um, I think it was... It was some. It was a. It was something crazy. I, I forget the number, and I don't want to give the wrong number here. But it was the highest tax rate. Um, so ideally, when people say, "Oh, I want to go back, make America great again," you know, back to that time, I'm like, you do know that was like the highest tax rate at the time, and that's when the country mm-hmm. was the most financially stable because the government was able to tax at a higher higher level. But they were also putting that money back into um, families, right, and, and right. creating a, an environment how this played into with black soldiers was that they came back and I've talked about this in my history podcast. Um, and this really in world war one, they went over and they, they saw that the, um, how people treated them in, in, uh, on the other side of the Atlantic, the French, namely, um, how they were treated, as a as soldiers, just as humans, yeah, and they yeah. came back and it actually emboldened them to create a um, create a, a, what they call the initial civil rights movement. It was after World War One. Um, that was shortly lived because then the depression, the Great Depression, happened, and at, and <clears throat> then followed by World War Two. It wasn't until after World War Two where the U.S. involved um, had one of the great, greatest economic spikes in its history. Um, up until 2000s with the, um, so, uh, in, with the excuse me, the 90s, up until the 90s with the, uh, um, the boom, uh, the internet boom. Um, they actually came back from World War II and they created this idea of how America should treat them. Mm-hmm. Because they were like, okay, we fought against tyranny across the, across the Atlantic but we're coming back to tyranny at home. That shit don't make no sense. Right. And so they right. actually bought into the idea that, okay, I deserve this American piece of the pie. There's a reason why I'm saying this, and we'll get into that in a moment, but I just want to lay out the framework for who and what this was. Now, them wasn't entirely a- historically accurate because they talked about some, they talked about um, the soldiers and them digging trenches. I'm like, mm, that's not accurate. That's not, they weren't doing trench warfare in World War II. Um, right. That just showed you these people don't be researching shit. Sometimes they just be kind of doing dumb throwing shit. it, throwing sh- shit at the wall. Yeah, and then you yeah. know, it's but that's just my my hang up on it. Um, 
but yeah, so that's kind of the the background. And, and the series starts off where the director kind of tries to set it up with the uh, the Great Migration, right? Um, and it, this is a point in African American history where many uh, African Americans in the South would migrate to the uh, Western uh, hemisphere, to the Western United States. And uh, so we're following a family, a black family, the Emory's, who are migrating from uh, North Carolina, from rural uh, North Carolina, out to Compton, California. Mm -hmm. And um, and I I listened to the director, What's my what's his name again? Little ah, what's the guy's name? I don't, I don't know. I don't even know who the, I didn't I didn't even look up who the director was on this. I probably oh have. yeah yeah. So I, I I had to because it was it was really I had to find out because everybody was throwing shots at old girl, mm. but in essence she's not the creator of this of this show. Okay. The actual creator is Little Marvin. His name is Little Marvin. Mm. And if you um, watch the series, he does a little eight minute clip explaining his his thought process behind creating this series. Mm. And so for little Marvin, I guess he found it interesting and a great story twist that they're migrating from North Carolina to Compton, California, which was majority white, Mm. which was a white middle class suburb at that time compared to what we associate Compton, California to be today. Mm -hmm. So that was something that he purposely did. He found very interesting um, to throw in as a major plot um, plot point for this whole series. Mm -hmm. So little Marvin, he is the actual creator of this series. Got you. Got you. And I'm actually looking him up now. Okay. I got you. So, all right, so it follows his family from rural North Carolina and follows them all the way to Compton. And the series has a lot of interesting things. I think it, I'm going to be honest, From we'll, we'll get into the meat, nitty-gritty of it, but I think at first it peaks in episode seven, and I think it, it they could have stopped at episode eight. What do you think? They could have. Yeah. I think they could they, have. They, they, I think if they would have kept it at episode eight, it, eight episodes, it would have been good. But they dragged it out to ten, and I don't think they needed it to do for ten. That what the what the fuck was the point of episode nine? That with the with the crazy preacher dude. It was just dumb. I mean, I fast, actually, I'm gonna be I, honest with you. I, I fast forwarded I mean, through that. I know what the, I know what the point was, and we can get into that. But I I felt like they were they were trying to show you. The um, what's the best way to say this? They're trying to show you how Christianity can be perverted into mm. um, human human uh, periscope of bigotry, you know. Gotcha. And so, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, because yeah. like honestly, anybody watching that, them in general, and from the entire scope, and even that episode would make you be like, like you're not going to walk away and be like, yeah, Christianity's dope. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nobody's gonna say that, right? Nobody's gonna be like that. They're gonna be like, I don't know, actually, uh, I'm probably an atheist now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> especially with episode five, like, we'll get, that was the toughest episode for me. 
with that. That fucked up my that it fucked up my, my me and my wife and I brain that night. I was very so I was very uncomfortable watching that. I was really uncomfortable in. For those to for you to recollect, I'm not going into detail too too far detail into it because it just really messed with my with me mentally that much. Um, But it was the one um, entitled Covenant, so it's episode five, entitled Covenant, and it goes into the backstory of the uh, third child of the Emerys, the baby boy that they had, and how um, their baby boy was taken away from them, and I'm just. Uh, I'm just going to leave it right there. It was bad. And this is where we can talk about where my walk away from them was, what was the fucking point of this show? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we talk about like black trauma and it's like, okay, yeah, this happened and it was very real, but like just talking about it just in a holistic sense, like what was the fucking point? I wrote a, a, a think piece on my blog, on my um, blog, and I was just talking about the uh, the concept of fear. Yeah, you know? I read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, um, just really the concept of it, like, why? What is the purpose of it? You know what I mean? And why? Or the horror, rather. And what is the mm-hmm. message thing you're getting? And I'm like, okay, who is this marketed towards? Like, who the fuck was this marketed towards? I, I don't understand it. Like it, because was it? If it was marketed towards black people, we don't need fantasy to fucking tell us a reality. Like you just want to tell us some reality. You can lead. You could take the fantastical shit out of it and just fucking tell the story, you know? right? And it would like we, it doesn't need to be a fucking you know uh, uh, demon spirits or anything like that, right? But it can just we can just tell that story. But then it's almost like well, who are you telling it? To? Like are you reminding us this? Could you make it's a theoretical? It's a the, theatrical sense. So like, is, right. it, is it for entertainment? And if so, why is our entertainment, why is our pain delved for here for your entertainment? Here for your entertainment, you know? Yeah. Like that is, is it is it supposed to be educational? Like, was it supposed to be an educational piece for a younger generation right. to to understand our history? And here's my so here's my biggest gripe about it. Um, and actually, I pulled up an article. Mm-hmm that uh, was recently written um, and from uh, cron.com, C-H-R-O-N.com. And the first question that the writer asked, where do we as creatives draw the line between art and filth? Yeah. Them would fall under the ladder. And that's kind of the question that I had in my mind where you can tell a story, but how you tell that story and the imagery that you put behind that story can be very, very traumatizing. Yeah. yeah. And there were scenes in this, in this series that were very traumatizing to me. Yeah. And I did not feel were necessary to make the point of the story. Black family moves into a white neighborhood. Black family struggles because whites want to make sure that they're kicked out of the neighborhood to the point where there's uh, um, demons, demonic spirits that are present 
in their home, in the home that they move into and their own tragedies, their own personal tragedies that they carried with them from North Carolina, they brought with them to California and they haven't dealt with these personal demons and tragedies to the point where it's affecting how their, their mental, their mental space. Yeah. Why do I need a, why do I need a imagery of a child in a sack for all that? Where did that come into play? I just, I don't know. You know? I don't know. Um, I, I couldn't, honestly, Rob, I couldn't, I couldn't watch it. I turned my eyes. I don't I, blame you. I didn't, you know, was, I'm, I'm, I got a strong stomach for a lot of things. Like, I really yeah. tell you, like, I don't turn away from things. I couldn't even, I had to turn my eyes away. I had, I had to look at my phone. Yeah. I had to look at my I phone. Even, I knew, I knew what was coming. I, I knew what was coming. And... I still couldn't. I was listening. I was listening to it play out, but I did. I can't sit here and say that I watched, literally looked at every scene in episode five. I can't. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't look at her getting raped. I couldn't. Mm. I couldn't look at the baby. I just. I couldn't. I had to look away. Yeah. I had to look away. I couldn't even. It it, it it fucked me up so bad. And, um, but the sad part about it is that shit happened. Maybe not in the cat in the bag but definitely using gator bait what do you think the term gator bait comes from right you know like they used to take black babies and throw them into a river you know and that was called gator bait mm-hmm. you know literally that's where the term name comes up and so um i i think you know there is a conversation to be had about entertainment but then the other side of it rob is we have to continue to tell these stories or people are going to forget them. So, so then, that's the, that's the tough part because then I think about my son and where I have all this knowledge and I've seen these visuals and multiple other um, theatrical pieces and in books and in, in music videos and et cetera, et cetera. I've seen this throughout my whole life as a 37 year old man, but my son is 10 years old you know, he hasn't really seen this imagery as much. Yeah. So is this for him? But he's not but it's it. definitely not for a younger audience right. so, at the same time. So, again, so who is it? Again, back to your original question. Who is this for? Who is this for? Like, I don't understand it. Like, what was this? What was this about? Like, I don't understand. Um, it just, again, it's one of those things where I don't have the answer to that question. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I will tell you. I'm going to tell you a story, man. Um, I was elementary school. And um, my I was telling a story to my mom. One day I was at a school. My, this girl on a playground. It's a white girl. What, where were you at this time? New York, California? I was in, I was in California. Okay. Um white girl says to me she says hey I don't really um, I don't really I feel bad for black people what are you talking about she said I mean I just feel like I feel really bad for you guys I feel like I wouldn't want to be black I said what do you what do you what does that mean she said I just learned about slavery and you guys had a really really messed up history and I just feel bad (laughs) I feel bad for you guys um and I just know it's probably tough being black. 
And I went home, and it kind of messed me up. And I went home, and I told my mom. But not in a way, like, disparaging to the girl. Just like, right. talking to her, like, around Ryan's age, actually. Okay, okay. Well, you now you so, can, like, late late elementary school? Yeah. Late elementary? Yeah. Early middle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have conversations with Ryan now on a very deeper level. Yep, yeah. yep. So I had a conversation with my mom, and I was like, you know, it messed me up. How what the girl said, and how she wouldn't want to be black, and it's hard to be bl- proud and black in his skin. And it was at that moment my mom's like, "Okay," she sat there and listened. She's like, "We're gonna start learning about black history, but not in a black history, you know. We're gonna start learning about empowering history mm-hmm. because if you keep learning about something negative and you keep having imagery of something bad, it has a debilitating effect on self imagery and how other people view you." Right. You know what I mean? Right. So it's important to learn that part of the history. But if you don't counterbalance that with something positive and uplifting, you won't have a great imagery of who that person is or that people. Or who you are. Or who you are. Okay. Of who you are. Oh, who and you that's are. in I'm glad that's what happened to the el- the older daughter, the eldest daughter. Mm-hmm. She did not have a strong sense of pride of who she was as a black girl. Right. And I want to, I want to talk about the older daughter in, in a moment. We're going to come back to that. Cause yeah, it, yeah I've got it. I've got some stuff to get off my chest about just the whole, that whole family dynamic of themselves without even the white people in the mix, uh, yeah. just the, the family dynamic themselves really bothered me. It's super. It bothered me. Um, but just, you know, just pivoting back to the idea of like imagery this is why it's important to ask who is this for? You know, mm-hmm. who is this for? Because somebody's watching that and be like, man, it was really fucked up. Like what happened to black people? But if all we're getting is trauma porn of black, the black experience, then it makes you, you're instinctually, you're going to probably have this idea. Like it, it sucks to be black. I would never want to be black yeah. or yeah. I would n- not even, I want to be black, but it just sucks to be black period. Like I, and it creates an idea of who, what that person is. So it's like, we have to be careful of how we view a particular race of people or culture. If we're all we're seeing is the imagery of a certain aspect of it. Like I, and I know this sounds really crazy. I'm going to say this, but it's why Italians, there's some Italians that say, I really hate mob movies. Mm-hmm. But like everybody thinks like, it's just, it's just nothing but mob. Like I'm not, our family's not like, like that's all. That's all who we are. That's all we are. That's all we are. Our monsters. Yeah, and I, and they, they hate it. It's the same way. A lot of Jamaicans cannot stand Cool Runnings. Mm-hmm. They hate that damn movie. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's funny and all that, but it, it's like it makes us look. Silly. I get it. It makes us look silly. You know, it's a character. It's a characterization. Yeah. Of a culture of people. Right, and so, um, it just it's. You just got to be careful about stuff like that, you know, and I, I just right. wanted to get that off my chest regarding in that. So going into like, and, go ahead. And to follow up with that, um, that is exactly why. See, the story you just told there is exactly why um, my wife and I, we try to put uh, images in front of our son showing the greatness over history of African-Americans. Um, I remember this past Juneteenth. Uh, we went to YouTube yeah. and pulled up um, 
the richest, you know, some of the richest uh, African-Americans, uh, blacks throughout history, throughout time. So they showed him Mansa Musa. They showed him Madam C.J. Walker. You know, they showed, you know, not just not just President Obama, not right. just Michael Jordan. Like, let's take it back. Let's take it back to um, the beginning of time and, and show you our rich African heritage and our rich African culture. Um, Cleopatra was black. Right. Like, let's break it down for you. So we have to be intentional mm-hmm. in those things because so much of what the world is feeding our young children is that negative connotation, right. slavery, right. Um, you know, um, Jim Crow, all of that. That's a lot of what's being fed to them in the classroom. Right. So we need to feed them that positive imagery as well, not just Martin Luther King, not just W, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois, but we need to give them the holistic, the whole view of who we are as a people. Yeah, yeah. facts, facts. Um, so let's get into like the beats of this movie. Okay. So just going to characterization, each different breaking down the characters here. Um, the father. I thought. Go ahead. What are you gonna say? <laughs> so just this, the whole family dynamic for the Emerys bothered me. So you have a father, a mother, and um, two young girls, uh, a high school age girl and a uh, elementary age girl. And so first thing, the whole reason that you all even moved here was to escape a tragedy that happened in North Carolina. Which is a big red flag. Huge red flag. So. In my mind, okay, we're we're running away from this tragedy. That's the real reason that we move. Let's just keep it keep it real. That's the reason that we moved. But there was no sense of unity amongst them to the point where the two little girls are saying, I never want to be like mama. I never want to be like mama. And the older girl is teaching that to the younger girl, saying basically completely refuting who their mother was. Yeah. Meanwhile, the mother, she has this extreme trauma to, because in, I would say out of all of them, she's the most justified in her trauma because she was the one that was actually physically raped yeah. and saw what happened to her baby boy. Yeah. Yeah. And so if anybody had justification and reasoning to be traumatized to the level that they were, was the mother. But I never saw the father kind of hold his woman in his arms mm-hmm. and and try to console her and make her feel better. It was always throughout the whole series, it was always, no, nah, I got this bait, to, to even when the beginning, when he didn't even tell her about the contract and it's saying blacks not allowed in this neighborhood oh, yeah, in the so, in the mortgage contract. We'll get we'll, we'll piece that one together because I have a whole theory. <laughs> That's a whole nother thing. Yeah, and then so throughout the whole series, all of these things were happening to each character in the family individually. Yeah. Yeah. The the baby girl, the baby girl sees this this uh mama v miss v 
or whatever, Ms. Vera, whatever in her Miss Vera in her mind by herself. The um, you put your high school daughter in a all white school by herself and left her to deal with all the trauma that comes with that by herself. You're you're you know, meanwhile, you're going to work and you're you know, your boss and you're one of the few the only black man in the building outside of the janitor. And you're having to deal with that by yourself. Where then was you, then the, you, leave, you leave your wife home with these people who are crazy by herself, it, by herself. And it what, what was it? It wasn't until episode 10 until the, the, the ending when they you finally saw them come together. Oh, look, when we came together, right. everything got better because we put our we put all our trauma and we came together and brought ourselves and, and became a, a, a one force, we became a strong force. And that's how we were able to ward off these demons and these crazy white people in the neighborhood. It was just, Why did it take that long? It was exhausting, man. And then I would tell it you- It was exhausting. And I will tell you, like the father, just, okay. Just him in general, your point is on, it's directly, it hits that, when that happens to his wife, at no point does he really console her. At all. Right? And at no point does he try to bring her in. It's just, they're just dealing with this tragedy. And then, I, I, understand, I, I understand the theory of what happened, right? It's just like how black people leave the South and in holistically great migration. They left the trauma of Jim Crow South. And right. just moved into another place without really dealing with the idea, the mental and physical debilitating effect of being under that cloud of Jim Crow. You know, mm-hmm. they just moved, not having no real plan. Just move. Just, let's just get out from the cloud of that trauma. Get yeah. out from the cloud of the trauma of Jim Crow. That's what I felt. What they were trying to do, like getting out from, not really dealing with the cloud of rape and murder. You know, let's just move away. No real plan. Yeah. You know, yeah. not really dealing with it. And then sometimes, you know, fight or flight, right? Do you fight? Remember they, they said the, the, his friends were like, oh, you know, I'll go down here and the, the porch and, you know, they were sitting on the porch after the, the funeral during the wake. They were like, you know, we should go kill them. And da, da, da. it's like fight or flight. And he was like, I, yeah. choose, I choose flight. I choose flight. I choose to leave. Um, and so I understood that. But in the midst of that flight, my wife and I are going to have a conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Know, you. We're going to have a conversation about what's going on and what's go- what's happening with you and what happened to you. And we're going to have a conversation as a family because it's affected the entire family. And what I got from that, that is that they never had. That was his responsibility. Yeah. That was his responsibility, especially at that time in the 1950s. Your woman depends on you as the head of the household to make the the right decisions for your family mm-hmm. and to and for him to basically because it's not like the experience was with other blacks no. and then they moved to this white neighborhood no it was some it was white people that put this trauma on your wife mm-hmm. so what do you do right. you move you move her to an all-white neighborhood to prove a point to prove a point yeah that was really crazy. What the fuck? That was crazy. Um, you know, and so 
you can tell they never had a conversation. Right. You can tell they never had a conversation, and which is a big problem, you know. And so I, I again, I mean, everybody in that family was dealing with trauma, and the 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 father was dealing with trauma from his experiences in in the war. The mother was dealing with trauma from her experiences of being raped. The daughter was the oldest was being dealing with trauma of not only witnessing that with her mother and also probably dealing with her father having to get through over getting over the work, but also mm-hmm. not being not being proud of her being within her skin. And then the baby girl is dealing with the fact that her baby brother's dead. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. I have a four year old getting ready to turn five. And I can imagine if we had a child and then the baby's done, like that would really mess up my, I would mess up everybody, but that would, that would mess up my youngest. Cause she's like, yeah. what is, he's here today. He's gone tomorrow. What, what is going on? Because whenever, whenever children are close, the children that are closest in age right. typically have the strongest bond. Right. 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 Yeah. And so like, yeah. So she's dealing with that. It's like, it was like a whole, if there was ever a series that advocated for a therapist, this was the th- series. Hello. You know, <laughs> um, everybody needed it, you know, so I, I feel like that was one of the bigger takeaways. All right. Talking about the characterization of the husband mm-hmm. looking at just sight unseen. Mm-hmm. I felt like there were two things happening here. One, as I mentioned at the beginning of this one, that it was black GIs coming in with the idealism of we are owed this from the country. You know what I mean? We are owed this piece of American pie that was told to us. I fought for it. I bled for it. This is what I'm owed. I'm not going to question it. It's just what I know. I I'm, I'm, I fought at the war and I'm, I felt equal. You notice like that there was another black family that they showed the scene where they were buying a home and he also was a GI. Yep. And yep. so I think there, there's a reason for that. There was an idea that, again, we talked about when Sam and, and being in, with the winter soldier, there's an idea of, if I made sacrifices for this country. You damn right. I deserve the same benefits as the, as my white counterpart. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I don't have to, I don't need to question that. There and it's like stripping away the idealism. It's something about being black in the military and the ide- living in the American ideal, right? As opposed to the black women who were, um, yes, they there were black nurses in in World War II, but for the most part, it's almost like the black women in this show and in general, and just in life in general, it's now they don't have the luxury of work living in the ideal of America because they are black and right. and they're female. Right. Right. And being a black woman, it's like you don't have the the luxury of being ideal. You have to see it for what it is. And so you're going to always look at the fine print. You're going to catch the fine print. Yeah. You know, where the husband might be like, and to my point, like I might be more idealistic on certain things. And my wife is like, "Eh, I don't trust that shit. You know, devil's in the details. Devil's in the details. And I felt like that was what was happening. It speaks on two different levels. Black GI, black. Um, American GIs and also black women and how they operate within the scope of this world and how they're never, right. they never take things at face value. Right. You're going to look right. at things in a skeptical manner, which they should, because they understand they should. They understand they're justified in doing so. Yeah. Definitely. You know, um, do you have anything else you want to 
Yeah, and, and again, that just speaks to I just really did not like maybe maybe because this is such a conflict to how I raise my home, how I manage my home. Um, there is nothing there. I will never make a decision like buy, purchase a new home without my wife. Right. I wouldn't I would never do anything like that. If anything, like I do, I rely on my wife to do exactly what you said. Hey, find something that I'm not seeing here. Every every major decision that we make in our in our household, um, I know she trusts me to you know to take care of things and to kind of see like you said see the bigger picture, right. to see the bigger picture with things and 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 um, execute and execute what needs to be executed. Right. But she also knows that I'm going to come to her and be like, hey, check this out real quick. Right. Hey, read this. Check you know, read the fine print for me real quick. Maybe maybe your eyes will catch something that I didn't catch. And and nine times out of ten, she does. <laughs> and that's what happened with having a partner. Yeah, letting your partner see what you don't see, you know, uh, um, or if your partner seeing, not letting, doesn't just see catching things you're not going to catch. Um, yeah. So. And, and because of all that, it just felt like throughout this whole thing, the the dad, he was just very selfish to me. He was selfish. Listen, the fact that he moved his family to a white neighborhood, pioneering, pioneering in uh -huh. itself is a dangerous thing. Right. And when you are pioneering, um, that, that can be, a, that, that, you don't need fantasy to make it, to see how dangerous that shit is. Like, Hello. Just, just the story alone of a black family in the 1950s moving to an all white neighborhood. Shit. That's the horror in itself. Right. That's, you could have left it right there. Left it right there. Like it, there's danger in that. And, um, the fact that he did that, his, again, we're going back to the father. Like it shows just his whole thing was wanting to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And proven a point. Mm -hmm. a point. Like you, you know, like, okay. When he bought the TV, he bought a $300 TV, which is the equivalent of $2,000 right. today, right? Mm -hmm. So he wanted to buy the biggest TV. Why? Because his boss mentioned having a TV. You know what I mean? He bought- Keeping a, up with the Joneses. Keeping up, yep. with, keeping up with the white Joneses, you know? Right. <laughs> you know? Um, and, you know, he moved into an all-white neighborhood because not he didn't, have, he didn't want to move into West Compton. He wanted to move into East Compton, you know, because he wanted to make a point. You know, mm -hmm. and everything was about making a point of trying to be accepted. And that's why his whole thing, his whole mental was the, uh, the Bo Jankles character, you know, yeah. and because he, he felt like, am I selling, am I sacrificing my essence in, in order to be, you know, um, to be a tap dancing Negro, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's where mm -hmm. he, his guilt that was that this thing that thing represented his guilt. Right. And every, right. every time his guilt started to grow, it became more prevalent. You know, and to the point where now his guilt was speaking to him. Yeah. And that's what that yeah. represented. To the point where that's when he had to kill when he killed it, he was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I'm not To the like point him. where his guilt was even controlling him. His guilt was controlling and, and pulling him. pulling the strings right. in in the way he moved. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, acting his guilt was forcing him to act out of outside of character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, he was definitely incredibly selfish in the way he, he moved. Um, in fact, one can argue that he's the fucking reason why 
all that shit happened. I mean, listen, the first day we had been in that house and shit would have got crazy. I remember like, I don't give a fuck what kind of mortgage you signed. We out. So, so here we go. So that that was a question that I asked myself while watching it is, like you said, being a pioneer, being the, you know, the Jackie Robinsons of the world. Um, how do you how do you approach that? How do you how would you have seen yourself handling that situation where you're faced with all this adver- adversity built around racism in in the culture that you that you found yourself in, like where you know what was it? Watts Watts was right up the street, and you said you had family there. Like off the jump, I'd have been like, "Yo, fuck this!" Yeah, like, yeah, hey, yeah, pack up your, don't even unpack, don't yeah. even unpack your yeah, bags. We go. We out of here. Yeah. We going up to Watts. Yeah. Like, but did we need certain people to take that stand? I mean, that's why I hate when people say I'm not like my ancestors. I'm. I'm. I'll fight back. Like our ancestors were hard as fuck. Hell yeah. Because they they were able to do shit that we would never be able to do. Because they took on a lot of going over that hill. They took a lot of spears that we'll never have to take. Because the reality is somebody had to be the first black person in the neighborhood, right? Somebody had to do it. Um, And so the reality is that if it wasn't going to be him, it was going to be somebody else. And um, it is what it is, you know, unfortunately. The thing I want to talk about, though, the thing I want to address with the housing, which I did think was, was great what they did. When, I did. I, I wanted to, them to dive into that more, actually. I they, thought they, that would have made it a better series. Yeah, how they talk about how they read with the redlining of the house. Mm-hmm. Like that, mm-hmm. that was really great. Because I think it was the first time I've ever seen that. Like how how nefarious white supremacy is and redlining. Yeah. You know, and even to the one point where the guy says, you're char- even the, the, the banker was like, you're charging 20%. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> but it speaks to understanding that he was like, yeah, they're so eager. They're just moving into these neighborhoods because they're so eager to, they're so eager to buy into the American ideal. Yeah. And, you know, and then it talks about, they'll never be able to pay it off. Like, so th- then it talks about not being able to create generational wealth, even though you thinking that buying into the American dream creates this, you will never ever, you'll never be able to actually fully get that pay it off pay it off yep. and create that generation generational wealth of when you the person of buying a home is to when you can sell it one day or create give something back like you're owning correct a piece, a piece of property you know and so uh, it just speaks to like yeah well it, it just I mean, white supremacy we'll, we'll get you we'll let you uh, get in but you're never gonna really see the full benefits of what this is right right you're never you're never gonna create that generational wealth like you said um if anything we're just gonna give you a just a small sense of pride mm-hmm. you know we're gonna give you a small sense of pride hey i i bought a home right. i i purchased a home in a nice neighborhood mm-hmm. um but we're gonna put so many roadblocks in front of you that you'll never truly be able to benefit the way we do right. off of the purchase of that home. Right. Right. So um, go ahead. I'm sorry. The uh, Did you see the banker on never, Apple TV? I never saw the banker. I wanted to, but I never got to see it. I know it's talked about that though. That's 
to to piggyback off of um this redlining topic the banker is a great great movie it was i really enjoyed it we really enjoy watching it so the banker on apple tv for all you apple users if you have get have apple tv watch the banker it features um anthony mackie yeah and actually Samuel <laughs> jackson yeah Yep, and uh, and Nia Long, and Nia Long is is in it as well. Um, I'm definitely watching it now. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I knew that get your attention. <laughs> but uh, yeah, watch the banker. Very good, very good movie. Very good movie. Um, all right, let's talk about the daughter, the oldest. Yes, yes. So again, all right, I'm I'm going after the dad again. Yeah. Um. And I guess you can kind of go after the mom on this one too, because I didn't see her speak up about this at all as well. All white school, you put your beautiful black daughter in this all white school and just say, hey, you got to suck it up and make it. And did you even consider the type of trauma that you were putting your daughter in? There was never a conversation about it. Never. Not once. Not once. And what we saw was she had a distorted image of who she was as a black girl. Already, already. You know, and then you compound that with being in the environment which she was in. It just was crazy. You know, and so. And yeah. yeah. And her demon to the point where she felt so alone there that she created a imaginary friend yeah and the imaginary friend wasn't even black (laughs) the imaginary friend was a white blonde girl because in her mind that was the only way that she could be accepted is if she could if she presented herself as a blonde cheerleading white girl and it took a traumatizing moment at the end where she literally stuck her hand in a white paint bucket to see herself as a pale white person and then gallivant and jump around and dance to the campfire and say hey y'all look at me you know, my, Look, that broke accept my heart me so now. That broke my heart so bad. That hurt. That broke my that heart hurt. so bad. I just, again, that was one of the scenes I kind of turned away. I just couldn't even look. I couldn't even look. When she, first of all, you know, when she kissed a girl and then her eyes turned blue. And, mm. and then I was like, and I was like, and then I saw the paint in the background. And in my mind, I'm like, please don't do it. Please yep. don't do it. I knew before she even stuck her hand, I was like, I saw the paint. I knew where they were going. I was like, oh. Please don't do this. And then, it, yeah. sure enough, they had to turn around and put her hand in the paint. And I was like, I couldn't even. So they, they, it breaks my heart talking about it. So then they, they had her go out there, to your point, and dance for these. In order to feel accepted, she had to not only, she felt like she had to look like them and to dance and perform in front of them in order to. Right. And that's with her, again, her inner self-confidence made up make-believe person for selling her, they're going to love you so much when you perform for them. You know? Mm-hmm. Not love you so much because you're going to academically, we're going to love you so much because you perform. But again, I guess, I think they could have articulated that a little bit clearer. Maybe they did. I don't know. But it was just a tough thing. Again, it was like, who was this for? 
again, the imagery of it, I just feel like it felt like the the idea was there. I get where you were going, yeah. but you went so far left. Yeah. You went so like, I just feel like there were so many other ways that they could have approached the points that they wanted to make. And I understand you, you're putting it in a horror, quote unquote, horror um, category, but even so, like there's just, there was, I just feel like there were so many different directions they could have took the imagery in this whole piece. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was tough. Yeah. It was tough to watch. And so go ahead. Go ahead. Uh-huh. No, go ahead. So. I don't know. I just, I don't know. One of the things that pissed me off, again, the writers, is that she didn't really have a great character arc. Because even at the end, like, they had her cut her face. Like, it was, and she, I wish she, she would have had a moment to where she's like, no, I am beautiful. You know? there, that that was it. That last scene, that was the time before her, her mother and her sister even came to into the bathroom yeah. where she was facing her demons. Yeah. She said, no. I am beautiful. I I am I am a beautiful black woman. I am go I look gorgeous. Right. That's what we needed. That's, we needed. that's what and we I, needed. I didn't get that from her. And that's that, we like, didn't. That's what made me like one of the things I was like, oh, this fucking Her mother had to save her. Yeah, and I was just like, this is not cool. You know, and so Yeah. It goes back to I don't know what the point was. You know, so Yeah. Um Right. I mean And it, then last and then, you know, with the we talked about the mother and in, in her trauma and yeah. in, in, in her demons and understandably so and everything. And, to, and then with the baby girl um, who actually had the seemed like the most pride yeah. out of all the all of them. Yeah. She just wanted her mother to be a strong black woman. That's all she wanted. Yeah, that's all she wanted. You know? That's all she wanted. She just wanted her mom to be a strong black woman. Mm-hmm. And it, again, it, it, it took until 10 episodes in. For her to see her mother in that light, yeah. and then and then the baby girl, she exercised her demons by by doing that. So that was that. Um. So let's go ahead and just ask the question. Hold on, before we ask um, the question, before we ask the question. Yeah. Okay. Just real quick. Um, the white characters in the movie. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially the white woman neighbor. I, I don't even know her name. All I want to say. Karen. Let's. Yeah. Karen, okay. All I wanted to say <laughs> about that is it just showed you that hurt people hurt people. Like clearly she had mm-hmm. some abuse. So um she was trying to create a family that she didn't she didn't have, both in her history and clearly what she didn't have with her husband who didn't Right. Um so right. she was you know, the way she talked about um you know, our kids and she just like, You don't have any kids. You don't these are not our kids. You know, mm-hmm. so she was being protective and reason you see why she's being protective because she didn't have anything. This is this was her world. This is it. This is it. That neighborhood was all she she had. She was the queen bee yeah. in the neighborhood. Um, Betty, that was her name, Betty. Yeah. So Betty was the queen bee in the neighborhood. And so, you know, somebody here comes this black family that she felt was you know, taking on her her power or questioning her power that she felt that she had 
over every her perfect world, yeah. so to speak. And you're right. Meanwhile, um, she and her husband are not seeing eye to eye. He did not have the same ideals that she did. Right. Um, yeah. And she's over here fucking around with the milkman. Stereotypically, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, Turns out milkman crazy. Yeah. I mean, she crazy too, but so they, they're yeah. both crazy. Yeah. And right. so, um, I again, just looking at it for the entirety of it, I just felt her character was designed to show that oftentimes protectionism and bigotry is stemmed from a dark place. And mm-hmm. that's really where she was coming from, right? Um, I, I did find it particularly interesting that when she was speaking about the black family, and this is what she said, she said, our, she referred to, obviously, because it's in the title, she said, you know, us, us, us. And then right. she talked about the black, she said them, them, them. And that's why the whole point right. of this film is called them. Um, so I would say, I don't know if this is, this was purposeful, but there was also another film called them, but that came out in 1954 and it was about the monster, a monster coming and invading the, um, the world. And so, yeah, it was a big, interesting, a big monster and insect, you know, coming and invading the world and, yeah, it was a horror play. And so I thought to myself, I wonder if that was like a little touch on the nose, like the monster of black people coming in and invading us and, wow. and trying to, you know, and, and um, you know, obviously disrupt our world. Uh, and there were this radioactive um, ants, these bugs. Black people are the bugs. These ants. These usually these things that we step on, you know, and are we we overpower them. Now they're bigger than us, and it scares us. Scares us. And so I thought, like, I wonder if that was the whole purpose of that. And I just wonder. I don't know. I I would be very disappointed if it was. Um, the fact that a black director decided to use a uh symbolism from a monster from a previous movie of the same title maybe, comparing monsters to black people well, maybe with, that was a, maybe it's not it's not disappointing maybe it's like it's to show ahaha this is how they view us like we view us yeah and so okay maybe it's from smart i don't know i don't have the answer to that and don't quote me like this is why he was doing it because i don't know i just thought that was right. very interesting um all right so let's ask a question here Go ahead. Go for it. Yep. What's what's the question? Um, because you actually, uh, so I was out um on vacation, and uh last weekend, and you were like, Rob, have you heard about this uh this new series on Amazon called Them? And Black Twitter's going off right now. They're they're going in on on uh, Lena Way, and uh, we now know this this uh creator. Little Marvin, um, and you asked a question to me. What was the question you asked to me? Like, do is black trauma, you know, who is black trauma for? Like, can we do we need to yeah. continue to have these movies that display black trauma? And are we tired? And 
are we tired of seeing it? Yeah. Have we had enough? Have we had enough of black trauma on for our for in, entertainment purposes? So it's also because we like Lovecraft Country. Yeah, we did. But there was also some form of black trauma in there. It was trauma porn, as they call it, trauma porn, as they say it. Yep. Yep. And it's a good comp- and I like I'm I'm glad we brought up Lovecraft Country. Um, because some will say, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you what I think the difference was. Okay. Um, for Lovecraft Country, who also had a lot of fantastical sci-fi and gory scenes and you know, very you know, could be deemed very difficult to watch scenes. The presentation of it was a lot more palatable than what we saw with them. And what you also saw in Lovecraft Country was um, the the strength behind us. The strength behind the family, the and and how, you know, in those moments of trauma, we came together and it it brought it and it bonded us to overcome the evils and the and the demons that were built against us. And that's what I felt from Lovecraft. I felt more of a sense of pride in watching Lovecraft. Like I'm rooting for the heroes. I'm I'm rooting for them and I'm seeing them overcome their demons in each episode. Fair. Where and in them, it was so tough to watch because it was like a recurring nightmare. But at the same time, you're like, what was the point? Yeah. Like you're like, yeah. What was the? I don't understand the point of this. Like, talk to me, tell me the point. And we still never received. Like even the end of the movie, I was like, okay, what was the point? (laughs) So now what happens? Did did they move? No. Did we don't know? There was no. There was no resolve. Like it was just kind of right. They. It just ended with them standing in their yard and the police drawing guns on them. The whole neighborhood looking at them. It was just like, and, what happens now? Like, she escaped from an insane ward, and which I did understand, like, the whole purpose of that. Like, you know, they talked about it. Again, it wasn't, ex- they didn't, weren't explicit. It's why, where does this thing was? They were explicit in the gore, but they weren't explicit in talking about this scene. I guess they thought the audience was smart enough. Um, how, talking about black, the black medical, I mean, the medical profession treated black women. And I think yeah. that was mm-hmm. the whole point of it, like how they they put would put women in the insane ward and how they would dehumanize them. And still to this day, black women um, not being disregarded in the and cast aside and um, in in the medical profession. So I think there's a statement on that. But right, um, yeah, it was just like, where do they leave off at now? He, you know, he's clearly killed some people, and you know, of course, mm-hmm. although self defense, like. I just, I don't know. They're just standing outside the home, like, and like it doesn't seem like their situation is going to get any better. It seems like, like sh- shit's about to. Co- they're about to go into mother stress. <laughs> and, and and literally, the only resolution that came was they were now um, fighting as a family and page. not individually. They're on the same page, which probably makes no difference because those kids are about to be split up anyway. Because the state basically take them. like. <laughs> Daddy's going to jail. Your daddy's going to your daddy's going to jail and your mama's going back to a mental ward. Yeah. So you didn't <laughs> escape. Like, I just don't know. I don't know what was the whole point. 
That's so. Do you agree with my analysis comparing you know, in the comparisons to Lovecraft Country? Yeah, because and just by what you felt in watching Lovecraft. Yeah, because they were they were. By the time we got to the end of Lovecraft Country, they at least had the they had power themselves, or they took right. away, and they were empowered characters. Whereas these ones, they don't feel really that empowered. They feel like they had the wolves taken from their eyes. They know what's happening, you know, and. I don't know if like again it was like what was the point? Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. I don't get it. Like I don't get what was like the whole again the whole point is I don't understand the whole point of the show. Like you know what I mean the end result of it. And so and, I don't know. And so that that leads me to say that yes, there is still a space for black traumatized, you know, um films and television series etc if done properly yeah yeah if done properly i didn't mind lovecraft country because i thought it was done very well i thought it in everything that i just previously mentioned aesthetically it it, i felt myself rooting for the um the black family in them, I was just like I was tired of them. It was exhausted. It, you were exhausted. I was exhausted with them. Yeah, I was like, this is can't. I just want the end. I yeah, I, I agree. I, you, there was a feeling of exhaustion by the time you get to episode ten. Like I just wanted to end. Like I don't know what's happening. Um, kudos to you, so, because yeah, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. You characterized that exactly how I was feeling. Like I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I um in our and so black twitter was really going off um i guess because they didn't know the little marvin creator yeah. but they did know somebody else that was a producer on this show little, um Lena as Wade. well lean away yeah and so a lot of criticism came down on lena and um and people started kind of backtracking and looking at her her filmography yeah. and in a lot of other pieces that she's done and kind of said, mm, she kind of, I guess this is her bag, huh? Yeah. It's like, you, you know, you're looking funny in the light, you know? Yeah. 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 Started looking at uh, Queen and Slim. I'll be honest, man. I'm going to be honest. When I first saw Queen and Slim, I was like, oh, this is dope. And then a couple days afterwards, I had got on social media, like, oh, this is a dope movie. And then I got, I, as soon as I came off the, you know, high, Hype mm-hmm. of watching it. I remember I was rethinking that movie, and I was like, oh, "This movie's kind of stupid." I, and I then I rewatched it, <laughs> like a year or several several months later. And I was like, "Oh yeah, this really was stupid. It, this is a, <laughs> like, what was the fucking point?" Right. Like it was like, uh, so of, much could have been avoided. Yeah, like what was the so much. What, I, what was the point of all this shit? Like, um. And so, yeah, you just kind of look at the characterizations and, and like, uh, I haven't seen The Shy. From all accounts, it's a great show. I've watched, so I've watched The Shy. Um, that's the series that uh, my wife and I have really gotten into. Uh, the Shy is a good show. The Shy is a good show. A um, lot of drama, a lot of trauma, trauma in that show as well, uh, following the inner city and the inner workings of um, Chicago. And everything that comes along with that, we know, you know, uh, or we've heard of the gang activity and the in the in the dealings within within Chicago and so forth. 
Um, but they've had other issues dealing with their cast members and in yeah. lawsuits and other stuff going on there as well. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and then you have a couple of other things I haven't seen, um, but people kind of said, yeah, this sounds like Lena Waithe, uh, bad hair. Um, the 40 year old version, B E R S I O N, <laughs> the 40 year old version. Never heard of it. It was in twenty twenty. Yeah. Um and it was it was something else that she was uh part of. It came on Hulu. Another kind of horror. It was another kind of horror. Was that bad hair? No, was bad hair the horror one? It was um Annabellum. Yes, Annabellum. Did you watch that? I never watched I never I didn't want to watch that. I didn't want to watch it either. I was like, I don't need a slavery horror. <laughs> Like, that's just like double. Yeah, I was like, I don't, I was like, I don't know, I don't need, I don't need to see that. I was like, slavery's horrible enough. I don't need a fucking horror story surrounding slavery. Like, I just cut right. I was like, yeah, I was like, I'll catch you, I'll catch the the other bus. I don't, I won't let that one slide by. <laughs> and, and I felt the same thing. I was like, eh, I'm not really interested in bad hair, and even even my wife wasn't even really interested in watching bad hair. And yeah. like you said, Antebellum, that's just too. I'm not. I really that's that's really a breaking point for me. When you hit into slavery, like I honestly, I've seen enough of that. I've seen enough of of slavery films. Like even even if you're if you're um, kind of creating a more positive story behind it still just just dealing in that in that era i'm i'm just tired of it i just i just don't want to see that anymore so i want you to keep that en- same energy because will smith is going to be doing a slavery film hmm really yeah um so with um director steve mcqueen i believe and so we'll see <laughs> interesting yeah, we'll see we'll see how that we'll goes. see it's gonna be with i forget the characters that i don't even but anyway he is doing one because he, he did huh. he was a whole thing of how he um we could mention this at the beginning how he's moving out of his production out of georgia he's moved he's okay his production out of georgia because of the whole georgia voting laws and everything so uh. yeah but at any rate yeah I don't yeah. know, but I agree with you. I understand that. I understand. So, that. yeah. So, I mean, so, you know, um, I've asked a couple of people over the past week, uh, a friend of ours and a, another gentleman that's uh, been on your podcast, uh, Ken. Yeah. Um, Ken, what, Ken straight up said, nah, I'm straight. Yeah. I have no interest in watching them. Yeah. I'm, 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 I don't watch, he said, I don't watch anything to do with black trauma. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. Anything to do with racism, I've seen enough of it. And, I would say 60, 60, 40. I would say 60, 40 of the people that I asked, 60% said, no, I'll take your word for it. I don't need to see it. I'll be honest, a lot of the number of black people are like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I text them, they're like, yeah, no, I'm not watching that. I don't want to watch that. Um, yeah. And so... Again, I'm wondering who the audience was. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> because I know black people are just not feeling that. And so I just And you know what I think it is? Um, especially over this last five year period with so many real life stories yeah. of trauma. Yeah. 
why do I really want to see it in an entertainment form as much? So we've got enough of it in in our real world on CNN. <laughs> like, yeah. why? I, I, I think that was the whole, that's the point of it, right? So you look at it, you're like, all right. I think everything that happened this week has kind of mentally kind of messed people up, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't really want to, I'm, I'm good. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like, I'm, I'm really, really, really good. And so. Well, what was the film on Netflix that happened over the pandemic? Um, it was about the, four, was it four boys in New York? Yeah. Um, that were Central Park. Yeah. Central, yeah, Central Park. Five, five, you're talking about Central Park 5. Central Park 5. Yeah. I heard it was great. I heard it was a very well done film. I still haven't watched it. I, the time when it came out, I believe it was in the, in the height of the George Floyd case yeah. when it came out. Yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't stomach it. I just, I just could not bring myself to watch Central Park 5. And to this day, I still have not watched it. It was tough. It was tough. And yeah. I, I, I think, yeah, I'm just gonna leave it at it was, it was tough. It was a tough watch. Um, but you're right. Around that, it was around that time when it all happened, and a lot of people were just kind of like, "I'm good," you know, mm-hmm. "I'm good." Um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I think you know, people are over it at this time, and so. Whew. And so, with all that, I'm not. I guess in all, in summary. My black brothers and sisters, I will not judge you. If you don't watch, I will not. If you don't watch it, I'm not. Chances are people. If you say, chances are they're listening to the side of the program. They've already listened. They've already watched it. So right, right. You know, right. Um, you just turn. You would have turned the podcast off by now if you. If, yeah. If yeah. If you had no interest, but um, but going forward, so whatever this Will Smith film is, and any other film of black imagery of trauma that comes about. I'm not going to fault you if you don't watch it. And I don't want you to fault me right. if I say I don't have any interest in watching that. Yeah, that's facts. That's true. All right. Um, anything else? Ah, I think that's it. All right. You know, so um, we'll end this week. I know you guys are going to listen to it. It's going to be on a Sunday. I know we usually do it on a Saturday, but it's all right. You know, um, we are going to have a podcast coming up on 420 um, where we're going to talk about. Um, the cannabis industry. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you for listening. If you are a subscriber, if you like this podcast, please share it, comment on it, talk about it on social media with your friends, whatever. Um, it's, you know, please, please, please continue to support by not even listening, but sharing. And with that being said, thank you, Rob. Uh, let's ride out. Appreciate you, Ken. Yep. Let's ride. So.